Welcome to Cabin Minute Cast. The scenario has been chosen. The ritual has begun. We are ready to appease the old gods one minute at a time. I'm Heidi Bennett of HeidiBennett.com. And I'm Molly Balin of LittleRedMark.com. And in today's episode, we're covering minute six of The Cabin in the Woods. And in this minute, we start with Jules commenting on how Holden is good with his hands. And we end with Dana peering out of the RV rambler. And in between, we get a greater sense that Kurt is not just your stereotypical jock character. Cool. I'm ready to jump into this minute six and see kind of uh, what's going on and what your thoughts are on minute six. Well, just to set up a little bit, uh, this is a scene that is continuing from minute five. So if you all recall, Kurt makes a comment about Holden, who we meet for the first time at the end of episode five, and that he's a sweet guy and he is the best hands on the team. And so Jules gives a little bit of a rib to Dana saying, oh, by the way, and he's good with his hands. So she's just being a good friend. And obviously we've set up that there's a little bit of a matchmaking scenario going on here. Right. So in this moment, Kurt kind of faux hits on Jules and he kind of gives her a little bit of shit. It's like, you know, I'm seeing someone, but you're way blonder than she is. And so he notices her hair right away and she just gives this beautiful smiling beam. And it's this lovely little window into them giving each other shit that it's playful and creative. And he completely sees her blonde right away. And then he kind of shifts and he notices that she's holding some books and he's angry with her. And I use air quotes, which no one can see because this is audio, but (laughs) it's Dana who is actually like, okay, got it, got it, got it. You know, I've already taken shit from Jules in the last minute about I've got books. This is supposed to be a party scene and I'm taking hardcore Soviet econ books with me, which is crap. Kirk goes on and demands to know who gave them to Jules. And she gets upset right back. It's like, you all right? I learned it from watching you. And then (laughs) this totally switches to the drug PSA and she totally runs out of the room. Super jokey. So this is for those of you who are the youngins. This is a famous partnership for drug-free America PSA that came out. And they were also known for the egg in the frying pan public service announcement. This is your brain on drugs showing if you do drugs, it's fry your brain like an egg, which would mean a lot of us would be a lot worse off right now. (laughs) (laughs) The PSA was a teenage son. He's chilling on his bed. He's listening to music on his headphones. And the dad turns the music off and approaches the kid with a cigar box full of drugs and the dad is coming with him super blamey is like is this yours and the kid's like oh no and the father says that his mom found it in the kid's closet and the kid starts a little bit more and the dad is all who taught you how to do this stuff at which point the kid's kid gives it up and says you all right i learned it by watching you which takes dad way off guard and he looks completely shocked and then there's a wise grandfatherly narrator voice that comes on to say <laughs> Parents who use drugs have children who use drugs. Yeah. You know, and it's so funny because it reminds me directly of, and I think it's safe to, you know, make these kind of confessions now. But when I was living with my father and my stepmother and my brother, and my brother and I were teens in high school, actually, he may have still been in junior high. My brother and I did not do any drugs at all. And my dad and my stepmom were very subtle about their pot smoking, you know, they they didn't do it in front of us. They weren't like, 
you know, just sitting around in the living room smoking a bowl or something. But I do remember when we did come across, one of them had used the sifter to, I guess, like sift the weed or something. Mm -hmm. And my brother and I found it. And it was almost like, almost like a drug PSA where my brother was like, what is this? I don't want us to get in trouble for having drugs in the house. You know, <laughs> like, like we felt like it was a big deal. I think at that point they did let us know that they did smoke marijuana on occasion for recreation and to not worry about it. It wasn't going to be a problem and stuff. And cut to a few years later where I, I mean, I don't want to talk about my brother out of school, but I know I definitely, you know, started using drugs a little bit later in life, a couple years later. And uh, did I feel more comfortable doing it because my dad did it? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I could, you know, I definitely felt safe to, I felt safe and, un, and, and not judged enough to do things where I could also admit to them what I was doing. So they were the kind of parents, my dad, my stepmom, and also my mom were the kind of people that led by example as far as letting you know that whatever you did was okay and if you needed help or you know call me if you if you do end up drinking at a party you know if it's three o'clock in the morning just call us there was a nice feeling of support around them when it had to do with that kind of stuff yeah i think my family was really similar and i i'll tell the listeners out there i grew up in north dakota so i graduated from high school in north dakota and there really wasn't drugs out there that I was connected to. However, when I moved back to the Pacific Northwest, that was really a whole other jam. And I remember I was probably about 20. And my dad said, you know, there are some pictures from the wedding between your mom and I you haven't seen. I was like, oh, wow. And he had slides and he hauled them out. My mom is sitting on a diving board with a two foot bong at the reception. <laughs> But, you know, this is like late 70s. It's Orange, California. They just got married. They're young. Ta-da! Boomers. What are you going to do? I found out later also that they ended up keeping the drug paraphernalia in their house. So, like, I totally could have come across it somewhere along the way. I mean, they weren't smoking when I was young. And I remember them, you know, much later because my mom was really sick growing up that they had talked about maybe smoking the ganj again to just kind of help out with some of her symptoms, but they didn't want to do that because there were so many of these PSAs and there was so much of this demonization against drugs in the 80s that they just didn't want to create a problem of confusion for me as a little person of, oh my gosh, you know, folks are smoking weed. What does that mean? Because there was also this, and maybe this is a little apocryphal, but that there were people who were turning their parents in because of these PSAs are like, oh my God, my folks are doing some illegal shit, you know, and mom and dad are just trying to smoke a J in the garage and just you know, <laughs> right. unwind, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. Yeah. I just remember going to cert to see certain comedies with my dad and uh, my dad's got a nice hearty laugh. But I think certain movies that I'd go watch with him, I'd think like, this guy's got to be high because this movie's funny, but it's not that funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I like to think about your dad as just Grass Valley Larry. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think about him as your dad, but I feel like he's kind of, I, I kind of imagine your dad as like a grifter in Tijuana. Like, he, <laughs> he's got like a Panama hat, oh you my know? God. And he I just... have pictures of my dad in a Panama hat, for sure. <laughs> 
That's awesome. So I just, I feel like he's connected somehow. Like, not that he's shady. I think he's a really good guy, but I just feel like he's got that, you know, like he was a spook or something in the 60s. And he decided to like retire to, you know, somewhere in Central California and raise kids and shit. And, you know, he's kind of- I awkward. love that you have a mythology around my dad just because he has a nickname <laughs> of Grass Valley Larry. <laughs> I know, I've totally created this image around him and I'm going to meet him and it's going to be awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about about this PSA? I'm sure we can put up a link to it or you can just Google. I learned it by watching you and, and find the glory that is this commercial. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you like want to watch video <laughs> drug PSAs from the 80s, you can see that there's a whole generation of people who got the shit scared out of them on cable television. Right. Yeah. And and um, the war on drugs, we, we know now historically was a huge failure and had no, <laughs> no positive effects. If anyone wants to check out Escobar on Netflix, you can see the whole background <laughs> of that. <laughs> I was just going to say, I agree with you that the, the way that they play this out, their little joking, I learned it from watching you is very cute. And you're right. It does really show this, like that they have some depth and sweetness and naturalness to their relationship that they can just go into some, some improv real quickly like that. Yeah, so kind of detouring back to the books. So he's mm -hmm. taking Dana really seriously that she's looking at these books and this highlights a scholastic side to him and that he's already taken these classes. So it makes me wonder, well, uh, maybe he's a little older or, you know, maybe he's just taken them before, but he, you know, goes ahead and he puts the, the book back and he says, that, you know, Professor Bennett covers this and uh, Professor Bennett, woo! <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what? <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> puts the book back on her shelf and then finds another one to say, you know, if you do this one, it's like Gorky or Gorksky, Bennett will find you insightful. And he pauses to say, and you are wearing no pants. <laughs> so to back it up for the listeners, she's been running around in her panties for a couple of minutes now. And Kurt's been having a dialogue, not only with her and Jules this entire time, and yet, this is the first time he's making notice of, you are now in your underwear. Which is very interesting to me, because he noticed his girlfriend's blonde hair first. Which is kind of, I would think, what you would want a boyfriend to do. But also, they're also highlighting that he's not a oversexed dude. And that this is a pretty platonic and safe relationship to the point that he didn't notice her in her panties until now. Or, or didn't feel the need to comment until now. So there's a real sense of safety around this and that he's, you know, setting being set up as he's a pretty good guy. Yeah, I totally agree. And I definitely like all these people like, oh, this is a good bunch. These these are some some cool kids I want to hang out with. And they seem like good, good, friendly buddies and pals to each other. And I think this was a comment that you made. And forgive me, I can't remember which minute it was that you were talking about it, but it's the last four or five. But you were talking about that there were these roles that are being set up for these guys and everything is going to go kind of left in haywire soon. So there's been this tease that the stereotypes that have been placed upon these people aren't really who they are. And I find it interesting that they've made some some setup here of Kurt not being an alpha male dick 
because later on we know that's going to be a little shifty and that there is this platonicness between everybody. But things are going to get a little sexually awkward once they get to the cabin and we haven't gotten there yet. But y'all will see. Things right. get a little weird. The beer starts to flow. Put on music. Shit gets a little cray. This is a really important small window, but an important window to show the baseline that these guys aren't shifting boundaries. They have hard boundaries. They're safe. They're comfortable. Friends are friends. Girlfriends are girlfriends. Boyfriends are boyfriends. Yeah, and it really reminds me of relationships I had with other friends at that that time in my life, like having girlfriends that I lived with and guy friends that were dating them and, you know, vice versa, where we just all kind of pal around with each other and not really give that much of a hoot if, you know, you were like <laughs> getting, stepping out of the shower or grab, you know, just like moving around your apartment and not really caring that much if people saw you half dressed and stuff. It was just this feeling of, of um, yeah, comfort and and chillness amongst amongst your friends. Pretty realistic. Yeah, there's just this, I, I know I used the word effervescent before, but just the whole energy between all of them is like that feeling that you get when you're just kind of getting ready to get out of town and sort of let go of your cares. And also the her friends, Dana's friends have her best interest in mind when they're saying, okay, she was dating this jerk and or, you know, having an affair with this jerk. So maybe let's get away for the weekend and bring on a guy that maybe will distract her a little bit and flirt with her and who knows what might happen. And then, oh, no, girlfriend, you're not bringing your studies on our trip. Like, leave them behind. Let's really shift away from our troubles and just have a have a good time. Right. This is about having a good time. This is about youth. This is about party. This is you're you're entrenched enough in obligation and duty. Let's go ahead and drop this at the door. It's not casual. She doesn't have, you know, an allure magazine in there. It's <laughs> it's Soviet econ. It's not light reading. <laughs> no. The setting slightly shifts and Holden is loading shit into the Rambler into the RV. So uh, this RV is a 1984 Winnebago Chieftain. I don't know if anybody had a... <laughs> That's such a great name. <laughs> Winnebago Chieftain. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. I'm sure there's some burners out there who'd be like, Oh my god, I would love a 1984 Winnebago Chieftain. <laughs> <laughs> Trick that out into a bang bus. But that is what the Rambler is, according to the interwebs. So we switch into this scene where Holden is loading it up with stuff and yells out, is that enough? Do we have all our stuff in there? And Kurt's like, it fucking better be. And at this point we see... <laughs> <laughs> right, in traditional dude fashion of, I am loaded up with shit. I've got a pillow. He's got multiple totes. He's got a Letterman jacket stuck under his arm. He's got a ton of crap. And the presumption is that it's all Jules's shit because she's trailing behind him with a bag. And uh, I'm not, <laughs> I'm wondering in your household, how you pack? Are you guys like light packers? Are you heavy packers? Brian is really, he's definitely a dude, you know, like uh, throw in a toothbrush and maybe a change of underwear and he's good. You know, like he's really light. <laughs> Um, I'm definitely not Jules level, but I do love to have 
you know, like the soap that we use at home, I want to use that wherever we go. So I'm going to pack that soap. And I like to have enough underwear for each night plus an extra pair or two. You know, I like to just be prepared for little emergencies or extra overnight stays or whatever. But yeah, I'm I'm not like a super clothes horse. So I try to be as compact as possible. How about you guys? Well, I, as you were talking about the extra underwear, like I pack extra underwear too. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, like, why do I need extra underwear? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I kind of understand like an extra sweatshirt or something, but yeah, I'm similar. I don't carry a ton of stuff, but thought it was also interesting. You were saying about soap that you like to carry, you know, soap with you. And I think because I'm chemically dependent with my hair, I need to have conditioner with me at all times. Oh yeah, for sure. Otherwise it'll just dry up and fall out. <laughs> but like yeah, a... it depends. Like if we're going to a cabin, I'm bringing shampoo, conditioner, blow dryer, you know, blow dryer, all my makeup and everything. Unless we're just, you know, totally roughing it. Then like if we're going to go to camping, I'm not going to bring my makeup. It's going to be all Burt's Bees lip balm the whole time because I'm addicted to lip balm. But I will be bringing my own shampoo and conditioner and soap and all that stuff. Yeah, because yeah. you're camping. And if you we're going to a hotel, that. I'm good with using their shampoo and their conditioner most times. Oh, that's also part of the fun is like, what do you, what have you left me? You know, there's degrees of quality, <laughs> obviously, in that. But <laughs> but yeah, I think there's that classic ladies have got a lot more stuff that they're bringing with them because they're thinking of contingencies and in this particular regard. Right. Yeah. Contingencies. Yeah, and he, doesn't he say something like we're not packing for the end of the world or for the apocalypse or something like that? Evacuation. Evacuation. So I thought that was a little interesting. I did too, because that is the last time they're seeing home. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it's a little foreshadowing of a sort, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert, they don't make it. <laughs> I like how she says there's nothing in there you're not going to want me to have. I just imagine a flurry of different lingerie combos and maybe, you know, several bikinis instead of just one. And, you know, who else knows whatever their kinks and proclivities might be. Um, there might be some special stuff in there. If it was Spinal Tap Minute, it'd be a... Be a, a a harness? <laughs> yeah, a harness or a, a cucumber wrapped in tinfoil, but who knows what these guys are into. <laughs> Maybe, you know, yeah, anyways. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. She's, but yeah, it's a lot of stuff. It's several, it's, it's, he's really laden down, but he perks up once she, she highlights that it's all stuff worth his while. Yeah, there's like a bag of tricks in there. And I don't know, maybe there's I'll have to look it up. Maybe there's some erotic Cabin in the Woods fan fiction that somebody <laughs> was like, I'm I'm super into thinking about what Jules and Kurt were doing. You know, obviously, there's none of the shit in the bag helped them out fundamentally. So there's that. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's a presumption that there's some sexy gear in there that <clears throat> he would enjoy. For the trip. Yeah. And so they're getting loaded up and I'm glad that you looked up the name of what they're driving in so that we can call it out officially as they make their way over the course of the next few minutes. It does look like a fun. Do we know who whose it is? Whose Rambler it is? Is it ever mentioned? Like who? Oh, like who actually like who owns, owns it? the Rambler? 
Yeah. I don't remember them actually saying, but you know, what's funny to me is that they're taking an RV. Right. You know, because they could have just as easily been in a station wagon or yeah, or a couple of cars or something. Right. And again, we're like, whoop, fast forward to the next minute. Uh, Although the motor, you know, his moto bike is strapped to the back. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's Kurt's. And maybe he, you know, maybe he's the kind of guy that, like, gets away a lot. And this is the kind of thing he can, you know, maybe inherited it from somebody. And he's like, oh, yeah, if we go up to if we're going out to the country, I might as well bring my motorbike so that I can go ripping around and, you know, that kind of a thing. I think an RV is super Americana because obviously we've got a lot of land to be tooling around in here. I just find it kind of interesting that uh, Marty's got a station wagon, which we don't see yet. It's a Volvo station wagon, I believe. But they're not going to pile into that with their shit. They're taking an RV with them, which is usually you're going to go camping with that. I thought that was kind of interesting, but I also think it's an interesting image of woods and the open road and youth and excitement and independence and freedom and woo america Um, right right it's a little bit more evocative than just piling into a car for that open road kind of a trip exactly yeah i think it's a good choice and it does it does have sort of a yeah retro feel to it it does yeah so we End up the minute with Dana peering out of the RV. And we find out later it's Marty. (laughs) (laughs) The suspense was killing me there. (laughs) And I think the way they shot her, she looks almost angelic there. You know, her skin is flawless. Her hair is kind of just falling down over her face very delicately she's got a delicate necklace on so she has a bit of an angelic look to her there is what i'm gonna add to the moment yeah i was just thinking like oh it'd be kind of like rv centerfold time (laughs) (laughs) you know just looking youthful and dewy and yeah totally yes you could see an rv centerfold unfold from that that image definitely i could see that like a little something tasteful from playboy <laughs> totally totally like the rugged edition you know for she's like holding <laughs> holding a, a large sunflower kind of next to her cheek or something like that totally totally <laughs> i know like give that woman a prop <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, so we've been kind of figuring out what's going on in this minute and that our our Scooby gang is getting ready to go off on a trip. We've got one more piece of the puzzle that's going to come up um, next week. But is there anything else more about this minute that you wanted to discuss before we get into our Friday pop culture recommendations? No, I think I am good. Cool. So, yeah, so on Fridays, we like to make a habit of making a pop culture recommendation, just something that we're enjoying. And I chose something that I just saw this weekend. So I volunteered at the Nevada City Film Festival. Nevada City, for those who don't know, is up in the Sierra foothills. This is the 17th year that they've done the Nevada City Film Fest, but it's the first year I've ever gone. I was tempted to go 
in years past because they had some great comedians some some years they've had like Maria Bamford and I think Brent Budd and Mark Marin and some of my other favorites this year Eric Wareheim is going to be there next weekend but I was not coming up for that weekend but anyways besides comedians there's just all sorts of documentary shorts and fiction shorts and then full-length films and such so I had a really good time volunteering and my husband was laughing because I got to to volunteer at the concession stand and I'm a popcorn fanatic like I eat popcorn all the time I do not have to wait to go see a movie to to bust out the popcorn I love eating it at home and so when he he heard I was gonna be manning this concession stand he was joking that I would just be sitting back there gorging myself on popcorn and that any time somebody would come by that it would already all be gone and I would just have <laughs> popcorn all over my shirt and butter on my face and all that stuff. But it was super fun, had a really great time. It was very well organized and had a, a, just a good energy all around. I did that on uh, Friday. Uh, and then on Saturday, I got to go see a movie called Score, a film music documentary the music of films. And of course, there's uh, all sorts of different people who are highlighted, like Hans Zimmer. He, he, they talk with him quite a bit, a little bit of Trent Reznor, Randy mm. Newman, Howard Shore, Mark Mothersbaugh has a nice little section in there. Um, they kind of talk to a lot of different people. And then you get to see a lot of the behind the scenes of people actually writing and then organizing the conducting of the scores. And they talk a little bit about the history of film score. So I like it. There was a lot of the Movies by Minutes podcasts, like a lot of those movies <laughs> were covered. And then my, my Aunt Joyce and I were kind of joking about how that music comes on and it just has this emotional resonance with you that just this hold that's so powerful because we're sitting there watching this movie about film score we know what we're watching and there's all these great interesting film scores and then bum 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 comes on and we're both like <laughs> tearing up just just because of the power of the sound of these iconic films like Close Encounters and E.T. and of course Star Wars and you know all sorts of stuff so right yeah so yeah I I totally recommend that to everybody who's interested in film and film scores and and you can find it on iTunes, Google Play, Amazon Instant Video. It's still out in some theaters, so you can look all of that up at score-movie.com. So that's score-movie.com or just Google score movie and you can find it just as easily. That is my recommendation. That's really cool. And so just completely appropriate to Movies by Minute. For sure. Yeah, it was real. I just couldn't stop thinking about everybody else. I was trying to like be in the moment <laughs> and watch it as myself. But then, you know, different people would come on and I'd be like, oh, my God, so and so would love this because it's about their movie and, you know, Mission Impossible and uh, just all of the different ones. It was just really fun. So, yeah, that's my recommendation to you and everybody listening. And do you have something to share, Molly? I do. And it is the movie Miami Vice. <laughs> the movie Miami Vice. I definitely yes. missed it. <laughs> oh, Michael Mann. I am a big Michael Mann fan. And I understand, for better or for worse, there is a slew of 
remakes coming out and have been coming out for the last few years. And Michael Mann did the original TV show, Miami Vice. So yeah, again, throwback eighties, but (laughs) the movie, the movie Miami Vice is a work of art. It is a pure work of art and I have seen it 20 times easily. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. It's, it is incredible. It is one of the finest crime drama movies made in the last 20 years and i will go toe-to-toe to anybody who says otherwise <laughs> the challenge has been thrown the gauntlet has been thrown mofos <laughs> like <clears throat> call it in i will take you to the mat it is incredible it is beautiful it is atmospheric it's moody it has the opening shot takes place underwater and they slowly bring the camera up above the water and there are these what they call go fast boats which are these huge streamlined boats that look like they'll just, excuse me, they'll just kill you if you drive them, but they're doing a a race. So it's, you know, Crockett and Tubbs, Jamie Foxx and Colin Farrell. And Colin Farrell has the most pervy handlebar mustache. (laughs) I'm in. (laughs) And I remember seeing the trailer in the theater and saying, the mustache will take me home because because <laughs> <laughs> it is god awful but so wonderful i'm like how do you sleep with a man with such a mustache i do not know but he has it and it's bleached so on top of it, his hair has been bleached <laughs> and you feel dirty but it feels right to feel that dirtiness. But there's like, <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't watch it with a sense of shame and eroticism, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> I'm in. I'm totally in. That sounds great. I love Colin Farrell too, and Jamie Fox. He's he puts in some good performances. Oh, he's incredible. Gong Lee is in it as well, and Gong Lee has to put on a hybrid Chinese Cuban accent, which. <laughs> wow you know wow it it's such a good drama and just the twists and the turns it's fantastic and i know that there are going to be people like i said who are going to feel a little bit like it's remade this is bullshit and i understand the sense and i applaud you brothers and sisters still sit down and watch the miami vice I love it. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thank Always you. Get something I just wouldn't really think I was going to go see. But <laughs> with a Molly seal of approval and enthusiasm and, and porn stash, I'm totally down. <laughs> <laughs> How could one say no? <laughs> uh, so, well, with that, shall we wrap up today's episode? Yes. Let's do it. So we'd like to thank you for listening to episode six today. We are Molly Balin. And Heidi Bennett. And this is Cabin Minute Cast. Special shout out to our pod fathers, whoop, whoop, Pete and Alex from Star Wars (laughs) Minute, who pioneered the movies by minute format of which this fine podcast is based off of. Oh, yeah. And I just want to interject. I don't think I've mentioned it yet, but speaking of pod fathers and godfathers alex and his brother have just started godfather minute and it's a weekly podcast comes out every sunday i believe so check out godfather minute it is really a lot of fun they're they're just jovial brothers that have a great love for each other and and the subject and they go off on really silly fun tangents and 
really excellent. So there's my extra little something there for that. And bless them, because you got to have some big balls to take on the Godfather Minute. <laughs> yeah, so come on back Monday for episode seven, where we will be joined, if all, if all things align properly, by Rick and Julia, our buddies from Mad Max Minute. And I also want to add that Rick and Julia took my podcasting virginity. Um, <laughs> And they graciously took me under their wing. And so they were they were kind and they were gentle to me <laughs> for my first time. <laughs> so I want to go on record and say big thanks to them. And also want to thank you guys again for tuning into Minute 6. And we will see you back at the cabin. Mm-hmm.